I spent many years facing the dilemmas of how to handle disruptive and disturbing behaviors in the classroom and in the hallways. My fellow teachers, counselors, and leaders often spoke about how we wish we had more information on classroom management and school-wide discipline. It's not that we wanted to give up when we were annoyed, fed up, or stressed out by misbehaviors. This comes with the territory. There is a need for classroom management information for teachers, leaders, and counselors. Over the years, I discovered ways to prevent disciplinary issues and also to intervene in them. What I want to share is that it is better to prevent the proverbial poop from hitting the fan than having to deal with the problems afterward. Once trouble happens, it's kind of late. Once one has to call for SOS or backup, it's about white knuckling it. It's about clenching your teeth until someone comes to rescue you. That's never a good plan as a teacher. School administrators tend to frown upon teachers who call the dean or the assistant principal too often. I loved my role as special education teacher and had the opportunity to work as school dean of discipline to help students in a different way. I will share some insight on how I became interested in making a shift in classroom management and school-wide discipline. There are always problems in schools and there are problems in bigger schools, bigger problems. The first school I worked in was a large urban high school with close to 4,000 students. There were 13 deans assigned to do school discipline. As a new dean, I was considered to be on the bottom rung and I did not have one of the glamorous jobs if there was such a thing. I had one of the jobs where I would be out in the hall doing crowd control on the sixth floor near the cafeteria. I began to view this as a learning experience. I enjoyed the challenges of keeping the hall safe for democracy, but I began to see something else. The students who kept me busy fell into interesting patterns. There were those students who liked to walk the halls and they were good at it. They would either not show up for class in the first place or they would flee the class with a pass. I was certain those students loved to socialize and they were determined to socialize rather than to commit to their work. What did make little sense to me is how some of the policies back when I started were about sending students to in-house suspension or suspending them for cutting class. It just didn't make sense that students who did not want to go to class and did not want to learn would be sent to an environment or a setting where they would not learn or they could not learn. And no offense to teachers who cover in-house suspension rooms, 
But most of the students who were sent to in-house suspension rooms were given workbooks to complete or worksheets to finish, and a lot of the work was just simply uh, low level and to keep the students busy. Later when I moved up to the position of assistant principal, I had a different perspective. I thought I knew a lot about school-wide discipline, but boy was I enlightened when we started to sit down in teams and look at data. What I saw was that the suspension rate was fairly high. I also saw that the attendance rate was fairly low. What a surprise. <laughs> what we also looked at was the data of how many students were sent to special ed or how many students in special ed were sent to more restrictive environments. I thought, after looking at the data, our team had more work to do in classroom management. So uh, we started to have these conversations, and what I learned was that school culture, climate, and tone is part of the equation with classroom management. Everything affects everything else. All the small parts add up. I started to think about what could be done to improve the overall school environment. After all, students must be kept safe in school, but they also must want to go to school and they must want to do the work. This is not an easy thing to accomplish or achieve when you have certain students that fall into the same patterns. It also was enlightening to me that behavioral issues are often passed over because administrators and teachers don't get to the root of the problem. They just put a Band-Aid on it to get the kids out of the hall or to get kids who are not working out of the classroom. We have to look at the total picture of who's in our schools, not just what's happening in the schools. As more students present with mental health challenges and behavioral issues, disabilities that are hidden or formally diagnosed, we must look at the overall picture. We must consider students who are affected by trauma and students who are just having adjustment problems in school. In short, classroom management needs to be a whole system, not just looking at fixing the problems that are immediately um, causing some of the disruptions. Classroom management needs to be instructive, positive, and inclusive. Does punishment or exclusion work all the time? No. Punishment or exclusion should be a last resort. And I say this because the students who are caught up in a cycle of misbehavior who are removed from class and who are constantly punished or excluded seem to not be getting better, at least in most cases. Most of the students are not benefiting from this cycle. In fact, a lot of the students who get into the cycle wind up being labeled even further. What has to happen? These hard conversations that happen in school have to also take into consideration differentiated approaches to school discipline. 
gone are the days that students can just be transferred to another school. Students with chronic misbehavior often do not get easily referred to more restrictive settings or special schools. Most students who really need those services, um, it takes a lot to, to get them referred to those schools. But those students who, who can be kept in community schools, who should be educated in community schools, need a different approach. Rules and policies for all students do not work all the time. Adding more rules and more policies certainly isn't fixing the situation. In my role as a college professor, as a researcher, and as a restorative justice facilitator, I've observed some things that I'd like to share. I feel like traditional discipline does not have to be completely taken out of a school discipline plan, but I think there needs to be consideration of new approaches. Information is power. What I started to learn through my research and through the readings about students with disabilities and students of color is that many of them do not are not being fairly disciplined. And the students who do not respond to discipline need a different approach. What is happening that is very concerning is the school to prison pipeline phenomenon. The system has to look at whether or not they are helping students of color and students with disabilities and students who are traditionally and typically marginalized in schools. Those students need a different approach to a school-wide discipline. Students who respond to traditional discipline are not the problem. Those students would respond to any kind of discipline program. So the total picture is working together to formulate a plan so that all students can have access to learning and have access to a safe, secure, and positive school. Educational policymakers, researchers, and district leaders, principals, teachers, counselors, and paraprofessionals, teachers, assistants, and all providers must work together to rethink school discipline. My name is Elizabeth Klein, and I am a clinical professor at Hunter College. I am not promoting anything in my podcast. I am just talking about classroom management. And later on in future podcasts, I'll be talking about how you can learn more about positive discipline. Thank you for listening.